So, you know, I mentioned to somebody the other day that um, a big part of my ministry over this last eight years uh, has been a ministry of unteaching, uh, of, of kind of clearing away the, the underbrush of cultural Christianity that's steadily overtaken uh, the modern American church, kind of like, you know how kudzu vines do in a garden, right? With the only difference being that at least the kudzu vines uh, crept in uninvited when, unfortunately, a lot of the doctrinal errors that we're seeing today within the body of Christ haven't so much sprung up overnight, but have actually been cultivated and, and allowed to thrive. Uh, and in my opinion, a huge part of the weeds that I've uh, needed to have cleared away have been in the realm of what it means to live together as Christian men and women in the midst of a culture that can't even define those terms anymore. And so it's uh, with those ideas as a backdrop that we turn again to the Sermon on the Mount and in particular the teaching of our Lord Jesus on the nature of uh, what constitutes a healthy growing marriage. Uh, and then the thornier question of under what circumstances is it permissible for a believer to seek a divorce and finally uh, how to keep us from getting to that point in the first place. And I'm going to continue on uh, like I did last week, and I'm going to read you the portion immediately preceding today's lesson just for context, uh, and then move on to the area that I want us to look at. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. We're going to be turning again to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading to you uh, just the first two verses, and then verses 27 to 32. So listen for the voice of the Spirit. And seeing the crowds, uh, he, of course, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and, and then dropping down to verse 27, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And so give us uh, grace now to receive your truth in faith and love. And strengthen us, Father, to follow your spirit on the path you've set out before us today. Uh, teaching us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, I think actually of, of all the passages that we've looked at so far in the Sermon on the Mount, this section on divorce was honestly really the most straightforward and simple, right? There's, there's no metaphors, uh, there's no hyperbole, there's no double entendre. It's just a candid announcement that a loving creator of the world designed marriage as a lifetime commitment between two qualified people. Simple. Specifically between a man and a woman. And that this covenant between that man and woman is a holy union before God. And right away, I don't really have to say much more than that to be on the outs with a vocal and growing section of our population. 
And even sadder, with an increasingly entrenched element within the so-called Christian church. And the part that makes it so tragic is that these are things that pastors really should not have to spend time teaching, right? Uh, because it hasn't been too many generations since even the pagans and the atheists of this world knew this stuff. But now, as a culture, we seem to be back to square one. Uh, particularly, I would say, because, in, in my opinion, because of the unholy alliance we have now between the the Democrats in Washington and the, the toadies they control through the, the organs of government like the Department of Education uh, to indoctrinate our kids and our grandkids into accepting uh, perverse and sinful lifestyles as normal and acceptable and healthy. And again, I guess I would say just as a disclaimer, you know, I don't preach this stuff just to be controversial or to, to ruffle people's feathers. But I guess just the fact that it does is proof there's a problem. I say these things because they're true and because it's what God's word teaches. And if somebody gets upset with me, yeah, I suppose I'll be sad. Uh, but what I won't be is quiet uh, because I want you to really understand what's really at stake here. And that is nothing less than the honor and the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ and the outworking of his kingdom. And the way we know that is because the Bible is clear that Christian marriage is a mystical reflection of the holy union that exists between Jesus and his bride, the church. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, husbands, love your wives. And now we could just stop right there, right? Say yes and amen, and all go home better informed and prepared to live out this week uh, better than the unbelievers of the world, right? Uh, because despite what the radical feminists and blue-haired lesbians out there would have you believe we we men we patriarchal cisgender straight hard-working family-oriented guys love women a whole lot more than the culture out there does but that's not what you'll hear in the media instead what you'll hear is that christian women are repressed and oppressed and held back and marginalized when nothing could be further from the truth uh, ladies, the world out there is not honoring women. I hope you can see that. Right? Uh, the truth is that they hate women. And they are trying to erase you. And ladies, unfortunately, some of you are letting them. You're letting it happen by voting for people and supporting political parties that want to see men be allowed into women's locker rooms and into women's sports. And for heaven's sakes, even into beauty pageants. Like, I don't, Has anybody seen the brand new trans Miss Netherlands? You've seen it. If, if you haven't seen it, you got it. Don't look. Don't Google it now, please. But you got to look this up. I mean, and it's not nice to say, but in my opinion, she looks like the reverse side of an oncoming horse. OK, so you, you've got to you've got to check this. This is unbelievable. Right. Uh, that's not loving to women to put men in beauty pageants. So, ladies, I guess the newsflash here is having men try to dominate things in the world is inevitable. It's only a really a question of do you want that to be in a negative way in the locker rooms and bathrooms and beauty salons out there? Or do you wanna have men leading in positive, loving, chivalrous, God-honoring ways in the church and the school and the home? Pastor Vody Bauckham, if you know him, uh, he says this, he says, it's incredibly ironic that families and people that have been impacted by biblical Christianity are the places where we find the freest, safest, most protected, and most cherished women on the face of the earth. 
but it's also the place where the women complain the most about the male headship of the patriarchy. And he closes, closes that quote by saying, in the words of that great theologian Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. And uh, we'll just leave it there. I agree with him. So we'll move on back to the text. <coughs> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, men, that's the heart of God's ideal for marriage to our wives. See, it's not about dominion, it's about love. It's about real love. And it's about the protective order of the home. And it means I don't treat my wife like she belongs to me. I treat her like she is me. And like together, we belong to Jesus Christ. And you see, from the beginning, even before the fall, God desired that a man and woman would be united in a holy matrimony, in a solemn covenant. And, and in this covenant, the man and the woman would become one flesh. And so the institution of marriage was established, remember, prior to the law. And then it was affirmed in the law, in the Old Testament. And it was reaffirmed under the new covenant of grace, demonstrating the universality of the institution and making it applicable to people of all cultures and all generations. But guys, something happened. Sin entered the world through man's disobedience. And notice, it wasn't through a couple's disobedience. It wasn't through the woman's disobedience, even though the woman ate their forbidden fruit first. But the Bible says through the disobedience of one man because of the doctrine of the patriarchy or male headship. And as a result, the curse of sin now conflicts with God's will for marriage. But since God is the author and designer of marriage, his desire is for us to hold the same view as he holds when he says very bluntly and not very PC in Malachi chapter 2, uh, for I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel. He who divorces his wife covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith. But now having said that, uh, and although it is never God's perfect will, we do find that God makes allowances for divorce under specific circumstances. Uh, and in both Matthew and Mark, we find Jesus teaching uh, that the option for divorce was a concession given because of our sin. Mark 10, we read that Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So the permission Moses gave was never the way it was supposed to be. Right? From the beginning, God established marriage as a permanent union. But in other words, humanity, like we always do, has taken a good gift that God has given, a gift with a, a definite purpose uh, and a promised blessing, and turned it upside down and ruined and abused it, which really, if you think about it, has been Jesus' underlying message for this last couple of weeks. And that is this, and we've said this before, uh, violation of purpose is the essence of evil. Violation of purpose is the essence of evil. It's like Jesus said last week about cutting off hands and, and gouging out eyes that lead to sin. Uh, guys, hands and eyes are good things. I'm pretty attached to all of mine, right? But they pale in comparison to living out God's plan for us and his design in the world. God has a purpose for marriage. And when we violate that purpose, it leads to sin. Just ask Adam and Eve. And it's the same with every area of life, right? Whether it's money or food or sex or family relationships or entertainments, uh, they all have beneficial purposes, but the violation of any of their intended purposes can have devastating consequences. Consequences that cause division, result in sin, and, uh, and usually because of our human nature never being satisfied, no matter what we have or how good we have it, it never seems to be enough, right? We're, we're always looking for that next big thing, right? The, the greener grass on the other side. The, the one that got away, right, whether that was the, the perfect woman or the dream career or the sweet ride or that, that once-in-a-lifetime Pacific swordfish, right, that everybody just almost caught. And in varying degrees, we're all that way, right? Everyone is searching for something, and we're all wired with appetites. We just naturally long for satisfaction despite the fact that it's something our fallen world cannot provide. But somehow that doesn't stop people from trying to look for it, does it? Some of us search for pleasure, others for possessions, some for positions of power, uh, and others for popularity, but most are never satisfied, and so we become divided. Those things divide us from our spouses. They divide us from our siblings. Separated from our kids and our co-workers. We get estranged from our neighbors, and even sometimes from our co-laborers in the kingdom. But praise God, his whole reason for sending Jesus in the world was to heal all of the fractures that we've caused and reunite all the factions that we've divided ourselves into. Redeeming and restoring the intended purpose of everyone and everything in this world and doing it within himself. That's why Galatians chapter 3 says, In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you're all equal. That is, we all have a common relationship with Jesus Christ. And church, the best picture of that, the preeminent example of that loving perfection was intended to be the covenant of marriage with Christ as our head and we as the obedient bride. Because you see, at the heart of adultery and then the scourge of divorce is a broken covenant and a broken relationship that's been shattered by sin. So we have to back up and say, okay, now well, what, do we, what do we make of all this? Well, how about some good news, right? Well, for one thing, uh, if you're here this morning and you've been divorced previously and it wasn't a biblically sanctioned divorce, confess it to God, receive his forgiveness, and move on, okay? You, you don't have to continue on living in guilt and regret 
one of the most beautiful promises of Scripture is that sins that are freely confessed are truly forgiven, and we can be at peace with God. That's why Psalm 103 says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so whatever past baggage you may have been carrying around about previous relationships, uh, you don't have to carry it around anymore after today, right? Confess it to the Father and leave it there. And you can walk out of here this morning on a whole new pathway. Right? Number two, if you're single and you find yourself living in an immoral relationship today, end it. Don't wait. Don't think about it. Don't beat around the bush. Either get the relationship right in God's eyes or get onto one that will be. Which means, for one thing, you don't date unbelievers. And you don't mess around with folks that are married. And you don't shack up with someone and pretend like you are married. And for this last one, for, the, for the, this reason, here's why. For one thing, just living with someone is not God's will for you. You see, the world likes to promote the idea that living together before marriage is smart or wise even. Making it into something like the, like the cultural equivalent of test drive before purchase. Because, right? hey, what if we aren't compatible? And they'll say, you know, if you live together before getting married, you can have your eyes open to the idiosyncrasies of your future spouse and can show you your fiancé's quirks and, and bad habits and give you the opportunity to decide if you can deal with them or not. Uh, the problem with that is we all have quirks and bad habits in the long term, right? Amen, somebody, right? <laughs> so the question isn't, are they going to do those things that bother you? That's going to happen no matter who you're with. But rather, will I stay committed and faithful even when they do? Right? Others argue for cohabitation based on financial reasons. And that could be true on paper. I don't know. But don't forget the Bible is clear that the love of money is the root of all evil. One commentator called it emotional fornication to make investments in relationships that are greater than the commitment can sustain. So bottom line, if you're serious about someone, get married. Don't play house. But regardless, for believers, it comes down to not what the world says or what makes sense logically, but rather what the Bible instructs. Because, you know, ultimately what happens, people that just live together have all the same problems, the same stresses, the same pressures, the same fights that married people face but they don't have the safety of the God-ordained institution to protect them. And you need that. You need that. Which leads me to my closing admonition to currently married folks. Remember that your marriage is not just a commitment between two people, but it's a sacred covenant that you've made jointly before Almighty God. And then once you do that in your, in your mind and in your heart today, recommit yourself to your spouse and together recommit yourself before God to the idea that divorce is completely off the table. It's not an option. And then allow yourself to rest in the safety and intimacy of those mystical bonds together. And then once you've done that, make an effort to step into the respective roles that God has for each of you, right? Men out there, you're to be the thermostat of the home. No, great day for that example not the thermometer, right? right? What, what's the thermometer do? It reacts to the temperature. But a thermostat, when it's working, helps to keep it set. So men, be proactive. If there's problems in your home or in your relationship, 
it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Most of us are good men, right? But good men can also be bad husbands. Being good at marriage is like being good at your job. Being good at golf. Being good at home repair. Being a good husband is a skill. And again, there, as I said, there may be a million reasons why what's going on in your house is not your fault. But your wife's well-being, the state of your marriage, the stability of your family, those are your responsibilities whether you like it or not. And guys, as Vody Bauckham also says, folks, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. So, fellas, if you're not praying with and for your wife, start. If you're not having a family devotions as a couple, start. A at least start coming to Bible study together. Guys, if you haven't been affectionate with your wife in a while, start. And most importantly, if you don't know how to be the godly leader in your marriage that Christ expects you to be, reach out. Uh, and maybe I can direct you to some good resources. So husbands, uh, start loving your wives today. And wives, uh, start respecting your husbands today. Not because it's easy, but because it's right. And don't mishear me that when the Bible says for women to submit, it does not mean that the husband makes all the decisions and the wife makes all the meals. Okay? Wives are nowhere, listen to me, wives are nowhere commanded to obey their husbands as children are commanded as children are commanded to obey their parents and as servants are commanded to obey their masters. Uh, ladies, you are not your husbands to order around responding to his every wish and command. Uh, and even more importantly, a wife's obligation to submit to her husband ends if he tries to get her to do something that God forbids or attempts to keep her from doing something that God commands her to do. Uh, so it does not, ladies, does not mean that you're a doormat. Ladies, it does not mean you cannot have your own opinions. It does not mean that, <laughs> I got an email here. <laughs> Thanks, honey. <laughs> it doesn't mean you don't contribute to the relationship. But it does mean, are you ready for this? It does mean if in the decision-making process you get to an impasse and your husband is making his decision based on principles from the word of God, it is, ladies, your God-given duty to comply and to do it as joyfully as you can even if you don't agree or feel like it. Anything less is chaos, right? You can't have two decision makers in a family. Remember, anything with two heads is a monster. Right? So now just imagine what happens if you put two sinners together and expect them to fight things out, right? Somebody's got to break the tie, uh, and ladies, like it or not, that falls to the husband if he's basing his decision on the word of God. Remembering that, that husband has to answer in turn to Jesus Christ. And it's okay for you to remind him of that. It's why one Christian counselor says, I never try to convince husbands they should love their wives because wives deserve it. I also never try to convince wives they should submit to their husbands because their husbands deserve it. The fact is they don't. Neither party. We're all sinners. And none of us deserve anyone else's love or submission. But we love because there is one that does one who is worthy of our love and submission, and that is Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God who pursued us in love and willingly submitted to death on the cross to save a people who didn't want him and couldn't do anything to help themselves. So our Romans chapter 5 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Which church is right at the heart of our Lord's message today in the Sermon on the Mount. Calling us to learn to exercise love and forgiveness for one another. Calling us to make your marriage a place where it's safe to disagree, and yes, even safe to fight. But that always holds open the door of forgiveness. Right? So resolve issues between each other and then truly release it. Let it go. Don't bring it up again. Unless it's a pattern that's truly unresolved. And as the Bible says, make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone that offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive one another. And brothers and sisters, that starts in the home. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the beautiful picture of marriage that you've given us, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of pointing us to Christ and his bride who you've allowed us to be. Uh, send us out this week, Father, to be the husbands and wives that you would have us to be with one another. Uh, help us to be examples to this culture and to this world. And Father, we're just going to honor and thank you for all that you're about to do in and through our families this week. In Jesus' name, amen.